Welcome to the Game Changers podcast. We are your hosts, Associate Professor of Education and Enterprise, Philip Cummins, and prominent educational thought leader, Adriano De Prado. The Game Changers podcast aims to not only put a spotlight on the innovative ideas shaping the landscape of 21st century schooling, but to enter into a deep dialogue with those brave pioneers, the true game changers in education those individuals that don't wait for permission, leaders in education who are actually courageous enough to make real change in their learning community as they foster the growth of each young person in their care to ultimately thrive in this new world environment. These are their stories. Who am I? Where do I fit in? How can I best serve others? And whose am I? These four questions have formed the core of the inside out process of development that is the pathway to excellence the culmination of all of them is vocation. Whose am I? How do I apply all my character, competency and wellness in the service of others? And how will I live a life based on that? I can think of nobody better to talk about the notion of vocation with than Sam McFetridge. She's the Director of Student Opportunity and Career Education at Winona School in my old stomping ground of Sydney. She is an experienced practitioner who's working with kids and their families every day. She's got an amazing track record of professional impact at the same time. She's a visionary educator and she's a PE teacher as well too, Adriano. What more could we want? I'm excited. I can't wait. Let's go. Before we start our conversation with today's Game Changers guest, Phil, can you share with our audience a little insight into our Series 7 sponsor? Thanks, Adriano. Of course I can. We are proud to be partnered with EDAPT Education. EDAPT Education helps schools from around Australia bring together their academic engagement, well-being, intervention and student voice data onto one platform. Let your data work for you to improve the academic growth and well-being of all students in your school. For training and support to help you get started, visit www.edapt.education. That's www.edapt.education. Let's go. Bill, I'm super excited for our conversation today. Before we get started, uh, for those listening, this is being recorded on the day that the Victorian government has made a decision to announce we're going to be in lockdown for an, an additional seven days and we can't go anywhere in regional Victoria during the, the long weekend. Phil, how are you feeling now that you've returned to Victoria? Uh, look, Adriano, I, I had plans to go to wine country this weekend, but I was thinking of cancelling them anyway, given that the Waratahs can't win a game and I'm officially in mourning. So look, I'm just going to sit here and sulk for the next week. Yeah, well, you know, I can't do that being a, being a Champions League winner as a Chelsea supporter, my friend. But anyway, enough of this nonsense. I'm super excited about having Sam on and, and around the fact that our series uh, seven theme, Flourishing Future, Designing for a Better Normal, with a clear focus on in-context immersion and career education. Sam, I'm going to come to you now and I'm going to ask you the first question that we ask all of our Game Changer guests. And that is, tell us a little bit about your story and how you have gotten to where you are today. Thanks, Adriano. Um, it's an absolute honour to be here this afternoon and to share my story and some insights with you and the team. I'm going to start this story off. If you had told me that I was going to go into education as a Year 12 student many, many years ago, um, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, I have had the most amazing people um, support team around me um, in a whole range of different experiences. It has really shaped my understanding of the way the world of work works. 
um, and, and, and have had some incredible opportunities along the way. So my journey started off, um, you know, a typical year 12 student had no idea what I wanted to do, um, wasn't sure what space I wanted to go into. And I was sitting down with a, uh, with a, a, a friend who still remains a really good friend to this day. And we sat down together and we said, right, what are we going to do? And it wasn't until an experience that I had um, with seeing a, an educator in action that I thought, wow, I, I love people. I really like working with young people. Um, and from there, I went into, um, into the area of education uh, with a little bit of encouragement. Um, originally trained as a PDHP educator, but have developed a lot of transferable skills along the way, um, which has really shaped you know, the work that I'm doing now with young people in that career space. Um, so started off as a PDHP teacher and really wanted to have another subject area up my belt that I could add value into a school environment. Um, and it was a bit of a natural fit uh, for me falling into that space. I worked in student welfare for a while and I found that I was having a lot of um, authentic conversations with young people around their futures. So retrained in that space, um, did some postgraduate work in that, um, initially starting off in as a graduate certificate, but loved it and, and kept progressing and went through to that master's level. And all along the way, um, it was looking at those transferable skills um, that I had developed along the way that led to those opportunities. Um, and I suppose where it comes from is, is identifying that strength of people and storytelling um, and having opportunities and a platform to be able to do that. But it's an absolute privilege to work in education. Um, I, you know, you often hear those people that say, you know, find a job that you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. I can genuinely say that. And I love working in this space. And it's been from the people that I've had around me and those experiences and exposures. Yeah, it's really interesting to, uh, sitting here listening to you share part of your story here. It's interesting because I, I never wanted to enter into education either. Actually, it was the furthest thing from my mind. And, and I actually entered into the world of advertising and, and, and thought, you know, a, a, an area pursuing creative kind of outlet was going to be my whole thing until I got a phone call from a school that I did teaching rounds at during a, a dip ed year. Uh, and uh, education chose me because I've been in it ever since. And what continues to draw me back, of course, is we get to work alongside the remarkableness of young people. It's a real privilege, isn't it, to, be, to enter into a classroom, enter into a school uh, and, and support someone else's child in helping them unlock the possibility of who they are first uh, and, and navigate that space. So much of the work that you do has to tap into that, you know, who they are kind of question, or even the provocation that Phil presented to us at the top of the show around vocation, whose am I? So I wouldn't mind you just sharing with our listeners a little bit about the work of a director of student opportunity and career education in a school setting, because it's not, it's not necessarily a title that would be familiar to a lot of people. Parts of it would be, but you, you, there's a particular nuance about what you do and, and how it's delivered there in, in your learning community with the, the young women in your care. Do you want to maybe share that with our listeners? Yeah, please? absolutely. So I would say that I, uh, you know, I'm a transitional transitional spe uh, specialist. So really working with students in those key transition points. And um, it's really interesting that you say that about the title because um, one of the things, you know, particularly early on in my career um, around that word careers advisor um, is I, I challenge the notion of that word being careers advisor in this space because you're not actually advising, you're actually facilitating those conversations in those key um, transition periods. So I'm quite really deliberate around um, not calling myself a, a careers advisor because there is so much more to that role um, in that space. 
Back to your question about um, what what do I do um, in the, in this particular role? It's it's working with students in those key transition points about making sense of the noise and the volume, and 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 mapping out ways that they can really um, identify what their strengths are, work out what their aspirations, and then utilize that to create a better world. So um, part of the ways that we do that, particularly at Winona, is is that we have a we have a whole school approach to careers education. It's not a, a faculty that sits on its own um, and operates in silo. It's very much embedded into our school culture, what we do. Um, and, you know, it sits at the forefront in terms of, of what we're trying to achieve with our students. And it really comes down to identification. If we can assist students in terms of, you know, being able to identify and clearly articulate what their strengths are, um, then, then we have opportunities to be able to pave the way with authentic opportunities for them to do that. Yeah, it's really interesting, again, listening to, to the language that you're using, which is quite significant here. Often people make the mistake that, that careers practitioners or people involved in career education simply focus on the vocational aspect or in terms of the job that you're going to be entering. What I'm hearing you talk about is those, those significant transferable uh, transitions in their life but also the transferable skills that are going to be necessary to navigate the world of not only work, but life and how they can do that really effectively. So my, my question to you is this, we now know that the world works very, very differently and that improved productivity and automation has led to transformed economies and in many ways, a transformed society. I mean, we're communicating through a platform that really wasn't that utilized more than the last say 24 months because of a pandemic. The reality of all of this brings massive implications for the future of education and the future of the world of work. Can you share with our listeners your understanding of what are then the necessary enterprise skills that young people will actually need to flourish in their future? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad to hear you say the word skills. Uh, when I'm having conversations with students now, it's there's, a, there's that shift and change in the language as well. Um, but we're not having that conversation around jobs anymore. It is what is the skills that you want to develop that's going to allow you to go into a cluster of areas of careers? Because we look at using COVID as an example, um, and we see, you know, the, the job opportunities that have come out of that and, and the way that things have changed, it's all been linked to skills. So mm -hmm. um, I think the, the, the aspect of skills is so important. Um, students need to be flexible. They need to be adaptable. They don't need to have the content knowledge then and there, they need to be able to have the skills that they can actually use in a variety of different settings. So things like, um, you know, being a critical thinker, having that, and I don't like to call them soft skills, but having that emotional intelligence to be able to re react to a situation in front of you. Um, I was having a conversation with a, with a colleague today, actually, and we were talking about, you know, exams. And we're like, in our workplaces now, we, are, we don't have to, um, we, we're never put in a situation where we have to, you know, conduct an exam, but we need skills in other areas that we have to be able to react to a, to a magnitude of different tasks. So, um, yeah, conversations definitely, that, that landscape is certainly changing um, around the, the language of skills now as opposed to jobs. Um, and the conversations that I'm having with young people now steal, steers from skills. And what type of skills do you want to develop um, in that space that are going to allow them to, to, to flourish in those, in those changing landscapes? Sam, so much that you're talking about here, my, my mind's going to all sorts of places at the moment because what you're talking about is the positioning of young adults 
in terms of the social contract of education, and in particular, the new social contract of education, which is around helping students to thrive in their world and, and hearing you talk about all of those skills. I mean, you know, the World Economic Forum in 2015, in New Vision for Education, talked to us about the importance of strong foundational literacies in areas such as literacy and numeracy and science thinking and digital technologies, uh, as well as the, the 47 Cs and the leadership and the problem solving and the initiative and the adaptability and the persistence, the collaboration, the curiosity. You know, we, we sort of bundle all of this up into four big competencies of, of, of learn, live, lead and work. We talk about adaptive expertise. We talk about self-efficacy at a school for tomorrow. And this obviously sort of comes out of our, our research, but thinking in this way and then tying it to the sense of vocation, the calling, the purpose of a person and that emerging sense of purpose. If we're not doing this, we're kidding ourselves because you talk about jobs, you know, as we know, there are no jobs anymore. There are people and there's purpose and then there's their practice and the world that they're going into calls on them to exercise that in a variety of different ways in a very fluid fashion. So big wind up, <laughs> how do we help schools make this type of careers vocational approach central to their practice particularly at these transitional moments and then how do we help rehearse students who as young graduates and then older graduates are going to have many more of those transitional moments than probably we're having in our lives right now yeah i see it as twofold it's about building how we do it we build capacity so it's not only building capacity with the students, but it's actually building the capacity within the educators of our community. So I see that there's two parts to that of how we do it. And again, back to my conversation before about it's, it's careers education is not just one person in a school being solely responsible about this. It's, it's everyone, you know, having a place and, and having that authentic dialogue with a young person. Because in my experience, the more times young people hear the same things, um, they're more likely to take it in. So it's the capacity of building up twofold. So it's it's the students that are within your care and, and your reach, the community members, but then also um, building up the capacity of staff in that space. So, Sam, you're talking about building capacity of staff here in particular, and you're talking about the way in which we can build capacity in students. And that in and of itself is an interesting thing, isn't it, really? What we're talking about is the learning work of a school, of a, of a community inquiry in practice where the students and the teachers are learners themselves. What do you believe are the conditions that lead to deep and effective learning about careers, careers education and the roles of the different agents within schools? Yeah, I think it needs to be an authentic space that students can actually try and fail so um, having that opportunity to build up a portfolio of skills um, in a range of different areas and they can do that in their classroom they can do that in those activities that they're doing outside of the classroom um, it's having those 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 moments where they can showcase pieces of their work across various areas of their uh, their you know their, their disciplines and the other thing I was just going to add into that part as well is is one of the things that we've done here at Winona um, is in terms of having student agency is we actually have a leadership position with the student body. So we, two years ago, brought in a, a careers captaincy role, um, which is 
has been fantastic. So it's the second year that we've had it. And, it, and that, that, that leadership opportunity um, has sat on the student body, which has been pivotal in this role in, in, in the work that I do be, of having that student voice and agency. So that leadership capacity of that young person working alongside them, building up the skills of that young person um, and really getting that authentic uh, voice and dialogue in with what the needs of, of our community members are. Okay, Sam, as soon as you mentioned the word agency, both the Prada and I just jumped up in our chairs because we wanted to ask questions about it. Because this is something that's very big for us, which is that, and, and I think it's one of the fundamental changes in schools over the last, well, certainly the 30 odd years that I've been working in schools and the 40, more than 40 years that I've been part, to, part of school communities. We live in a world where personalisation is serious. It's not just a pipe dream. This is a world where the individual capacity of students to thrive in the world depends not on their ability to do what they're told, but to find their pathway and to map their way forward and to claim their purpose and their space in that. And for that, they need voice, agency and advocacy. I want you to imagine now that Adriano is a lot younger than he is right now. He's a brand new graduate. Um, he's still got his ponytail that he used to have in the 1920s. What advice can you give him as a, a recently qualified teacher about how to build voice agency and advocacy in students? And remember, he, he's, he's just a starting teacher, so he doesn't understand all this highfalutin stuff. He wants examples. Pedagogy, he probably doesn't know how to spell pedagogy yet, but he will, he'll get there in the end. Wow, there's a lot in that question. I would say it starts with throwing the question back rather than the advice coming from obviously myself. It would be facilitating conversation with Adri the younger Adriano um, around what, what is his purpose? What is his calling? What does he want to do? And linking that back through with the values, the interests that that young person has in your care that you're talking about yeah come it comes back to you know what kind of a world do you want to create you know and that's linked back to aspirations what the what the skill set is that that person wants to develop and you've got to look at the values there of what that person has and the skills that they want to build yeah so 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 what I'm hearing you say there Sam is that you're talking about a pedagogies that are based on student self-reflection so you're asking students to think about who they are and what they want in the world. How do we encourage teachers to help see the value in reflection, in student choice, in the ways in which students can rehearse that voice? Yeah, it's, it, it involves a bit of trust and let go. You know, we give the students the opportunity to, to voice what they want to do. It's giving trust to the students. And you know, I'm amazed and blown away with the quality of work when you give a student a choice, but you put the structure and the foundation in place for that student to be able to thrive, but you give them the choice with the flexibility. I'm blown away every day with the, the nature of the work that they will come up with, the ideas that they, you know, that they come up with, things that I would never even think of just because you have actually given a platform for that young person to be able to communicate their interests and their values. So I think it involves trust, um, it, allowing a student to fail, um, but then also to reflect and, and to seek an experience from that that they can keep moving forward. So what I'm hearing you say, and, and, and this, I guess, is the third example that I was trying to tease out here from you, is that idea that as the teacher, you are not in charge 
you are not doing all of the work. It's not about the teaching. It's about the learning and the interventions that you can use to help students reflect on who they are and do the learning work themselves towards the outcomes that are necessary. How do we promote the conditions where that type of self-determination in learning can work? It's building that rapport with that young person so that they feel confident to take a risk and want to give it a go and they have that trust and and it, it really comes down to having the right framework in place so that a student will give it a go and thrive. I often say this all the time now is we actually walk alongside students. Um, We're not at the front. We walk alongside them. And then eventually when they leave the school gates, we walk behind them. So, um, you know, that's one analogy that one of my colleagues uses all the time. And I think it's a beautiful reflection on on what we do in in the work that we do with young people is that we do work alongside them. So if we can get that framework um, in place for those students to be able to thrive, that's what we do I want to just interrogate this learner agency a little bit a little bit more before I move on to a question around emotional competency Phil touched upon self-determination just then and it's pretty clear that the three of us would feel that learner agency and self-determination are crucial in designing a better normal uh, going forward to help young people become feel more independent and confident going forward you've already explored some examples around agency What I'm also interested, though, in is how can we continue to support our colleagues and the young people in their care in around emphasising self-regulation and self-management as the normal part of practice within schools so that students move into that, that psychological safe space of ownership around their own work, their own learning, uh, their own aspirations. I think it's around creating a culture where everyone is on board with the value of that young person. So if you can create that culture within your organisation or your setting where you're working, where it is valued, um, there is that authentic dialogue that happens between educators around that. I think that's pivotal. The minute we give students agency, um, we empower them. So they, they take ownership of it. They're taking ownership about the direction in which their learning it's all about owning it right so if they own their learning they they're they're heavily invested in it they take ownership of those experiences they can fledge it forward in a way that they they are owning that experience and it's not that one size fits all model they they can take it off in a direction that they that they want to um, but they need to be able to have that process in place that they can structure it To support the full flourishing of of young people, we all agree that it's crucial that schools are better attend to the social and emotional competency of of all to kind of enrich that whole of the learner experience. A moment ago, you touched upon the phrase psychological safety. And when I think about that in the context of schools, I think about how we can ensure that young people feel included, how they can feel safe to learn, how they can feel safe to contribute, and of course, how they can feel safe to challenge the status quo. And to do that, without the fear of being embarrassed, marginalised, or even pushed away in in, in any context or punished in any context. What role do you then see the integration of SEL having in schools today and tomorrow? I think it needs to be 
pivotal to what we do. You know, we often say here at Winona, every teacher, every every educator is a, a teacher of well-being. And if students feel safe within our care, then they they have the capacity to thrive. So it's it's not about like I'm a te- I'm a teacher of this or I'm a I'm a teacher of that. It's it's every teacher has a responsibility of student well-being. And and that's one of the great things about my role is that I I, I get the opportunity to work with our well-being team. Every teacher is a teacher of well-being as well. And that allows the students, it's building, it's building that relationship with that student so that there is trust in that environment. Um, you know, that knowledge about the student. If you know that little detail about that student, it allows you to push them in that direction a little bit further. And it comes down to, to you know, knowing the students that are there that are in front of you because you know their experiences are so unique. They come into our class with so many different backgrounds and and just even the way that they're thinking and 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 as an educator if you know a little bit more about them and you can really structure that well to to get the best out of that young person in your environment sam i want to start pulling together some of the 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 strands to what you've been talking about here i mean there's this enormous wisdom that you've been giving us around setting the context um, and that addresses the, the 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 sort of underlying philosophy and how you put it into practice, you know, and very much think um, you know there's, there's there's really strong learning objectives that are coming out from so much of what you're talking about here. I want to take you back to the 1980s when I did work experience at school, and <laughs> you, you probably did work experience too. Adriano is still doing work experience now. It's a good idea, but we've moved on from that really, haven't we? It's a little bit like history curriculum. Um, you know, as well too, you know, we've, we've, we've learned how to shape learning experiences to, to suit the educational process and to match more closely our own learning based on educational research. So we would now be thinking about opportunities, wouldn't we? We would be thinking about opportunities to provide students with immersive learning experiences, both on campus and off campus, that are going to help them take all of those skills that you were talking about earlier and practice them and put them into a real life context and and connect it to that sense emerging sense of who they are where they fit in how they can best serve others and whose they are so talk to us about how immersive learning experiences or opportunities can help um, students to transition from school to life beyond school yeah, absolutely. Um, it's building up those portfolios of skills that students can then use in their future work environments. So um, one of the things that we did last year during COVID is we had to really re-pivot the way that, um, you know, we have we have a work, we don't call it work experience, we, we, re, we rebranded it and called it work exploration, but we had a program, we had to re-pivot really quickly last year during COVID um, and we created a, we called it the Future Festival of You, and and students had the opportunity to go out and 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 create some skills um, and exp- what well, they 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 immerse themselves in different skills. And it was about building up those portfolios of skills that they could use for their future workforces. And I think I think that's part of it. You know. It, one week now of, of, of work experience of what it was in the past, it doesn't actually cut it anymore. Um, and it is a little bit of an outdated model. So how can we as educators build, uh, give our students the opportunity to be able to build up a portfolio of skills capture that you know that students do the most phenomenal things um they are creating their own businesses they are creating their side hustles they have um skills that they are building through passions and interests and it's it's if, if students can do that and they can capture that in a visual way 
they're already set up for success because they have that opportunity to showcase that to potential employers. They can shape um, and steer their, their career path with those skills. And it, and it comes back to what we were talking before. It is about skills, not jobs. Um, if students can build up those skills, they can build up those portfolio skills, they really are going to thrive in the workforce of uh, the workforce of the future, which is, which is here now. So, yeah, that's what I would say on that. You know, one of the things I'm really enjoying about listening to the way you talk about education and the process and bearing in mind, I mean, you're, you're a chalky. You're there on the ground every day working with kids and their families and their, and their teachers and their coaches and their mentors to help them um, transition as I said earlier, from childhood um, through to adulthood. One of the things that I'm really enjoying is, is the intentionality of what you talk about. And when, I, when I'm pushing you for examples, you're coming back to me with think about the intention. Think about the, the, the outcome that you want to create and then helping me then to think about, well, how would I shape a learning experience based on that outcome? So it's, it's almost asking me to shift from work experience to work exploration myself, that in designing the learning around this, I have to go through the same experience as the students themselves. This is new thinking. This is new thinking. I mean, it's hard work too, isn't it? Like, you know, you know you're not letting me get away with anything here. You're not giving me any easy answers. Instead, what you're doing is, is you're, you're mapping out somewhere that I can go and that I can think about and that I can make um, happen, but I'm going to have to try some stuff and I'm going to have to experience a bit of failure and I'm going to have to learn my way through as an educator just as much as the kids do. In other words, we can't just trot out the same old model. We've got to keep going. This new thinking is what's really, really interests me because this is, this is so many of the contemporary educators we come across are deep thinkers like you in terms of what they do and how they do it and why they do it. Dare I say it, there's a question sitting in front of me right now that we might have done some work on that says post-pandemic and as we go into lockdown for the umpteenth time today in Melbourne, I don't exactly know when that will be, but, but sometime as we emerge from at the situation that we're in right now into whatever comes next, the status quo will be lurking, won't it? It'll be, it'll be seducing us back into, oh, well, let's just go back to the old way. Let's go back to the old way. It's got a very strong pull to it, yet we can't. We just can't go back. We have to keep going forward. And we have to stop thinking about the old and the new as these binary things and instead think about the learning intentions and how we evolve the learning environment and the context to suit the kids in front of us. How do we in schools keep challenging binary thinking? How do we encourage people to think in this fresh and contemporary way that you're thinking and you're, and you're making your thinking visible to us? How do we use this to help us to design that better normal that, that's going to equip, empower and enable young people to move from surviving to thriving in the new world environment? I think we need to think about all the great things that have happened in, in the last, you know, 12 months that would have traditionally taken 10 years, um, five years, and, and, and they happen so quickly as a result of a pandemic. Um, so I think it's thinking about what are, the, what, what are the great things that were happening in that time that we want to keep in? And, and you said it perfectly there, we, you know, we, we don't want to let on, let those things go. You know, what did we do really well? Um, what do we want to keep in? And I, and I think there's been some great things that have happened um, in the last 12 months, you know, that have come out as a result of COVID. You know, we've seen people working from home. We've seen people um, gaining skills in that space. And, and I think we need to keep the things that have worked really well and not revert back to that old way of thinking because we've had this unique opportunity 
to um, try things out, see how they work. Um, we've seen them fail, but we've learned from those experiences. And I think that's really exciting about the way that education is going to go, given that there were so many things that crumbled, but there were so many great things that built from that. What, what role do you then see of technology in shaping our, our school communities going forward, particularly in the space of not only career education, but career immersion? I think I've opened the doors for so many opportunities. You know, we've been able to bring people into our classroom that we haven't usually had before. Um, and we did that. We've, we've done that in our different time zones. We've been able to connect with people all across the world and share those experiences. And I, and that's something I think we need to keep in. Um, the networks that we ha now have online, the access that we have um, to be able to bring experts and, and professionals into our classrooms and, and that reciprocal learning that happens um, from both sides, you know, learning from industry coming in and also the students learning from that. I'd love to see that stay and I hope and I hope it really does because I think um, that online place has been amazing and um, uh, yeah, I think it's why if there's one thing that we have to we have to keep those aspects in because we've just opened the doors to so many more opportunities now and do things differently that we haven't done before. Touched upon something really, really interesting, and that was about inviting people into the space. And that technology has enabled that to happen a little bit more seamlessly. I can actually recall uh, throughout my entire educational career being a, a, a senior art and design teacher, a particular design teacher, that I had students in my class who had, who had aspirations to become architects. They had aspirations to become graphic designers. They had aspirations to, to become uh, product designers, furniture designers and so on, all in, the, in that design industry. And I was able to always tap into either old collegians that I knew, uh, ex-students that I had taught, or people in industry that, that I had had become to know over the years uh, to come in and, and work with students. But there was lots of logistical issues, you know, uh, the, the travel that they would have to come, uh, then working with children checks now, which is really significant and, and, and of course really important in our school communities. But the power of technology does that. I wonder what's the flip, what's the reverse? So they're coming into us through the power of technology and that's probably going to make it more accessible, a lot more real time and a lot more instant and 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 but probably a better use of their time more effectively. But what's the reverse? Where are there opportunities for schools now to start partnering in a really pronounced way with industry to provide young people with deep dive immersions within that particular industry, not only to develop the necessary employability skills, but more importantly, the insight of those industry specific skills to help them then make better decisions about whether it, in fact that's for them. Yeah, I think there's um, there's learning on both both sides of that front. You know, I think schools can learn a lot from um, industry. Industry can also learn a lot from skill schools, and those partnership opportunities. Um, in order for them to thrive, they obviously have there has to be that two way um, process. Mm -hmm. um, I think you just need to look at your local um, you know needs within your community um, and and beyond that as well. Because if you can work out what those needs are, you can solve problems. You can bring that into the curriculum. You can hone in on curriculum links. The minute you do that, students are excited about their learning because they're solving real problems around opportunities that actually exist. Um, and there's nothing I think as an educator more. Um, 
beneficial to see a student working on a real problem um, that is then going to have impact out into their local community, the national community. Um, so, yeah, I think it's two-way process. I think there's a lot of benefit to schools, but also for industry partners. And, you know, what I'm seeing is, is so many people reaching out now to get involved. They want to contribute. They want to see the young people within their world um, develop and flourish. And it's just a matter of harnessing those opportunities and, um and and just really yeah take taking taking hold of it and and as I said you know the the the, the doors are open now to pr provide those authentic opportunities for young people. Yeah, I fully agree with you. So much of uh, private enterprise, local community groups, not for profits as well, are crying out to partner with with school communities, uh, so so they can actually make a difference not economic, just economically, but of course, socially, which is, which is a huge thing. And so many of our young people have a deep consciousness. I love that you've shared with us today, uh, this, this notion that to really flourish in the context of any environment, we, we need to fully immerse ourselves within it, whether it's locally, you know, regionally or globally. And it and requires what you said from the very top of this show, transferable skills to match an adaptive kind of mindset and, and, and an approach to fostering their self-efficacy and their emotional competency. It's really profound stuff that you're sharing with us here today. And I've really enjoyed this conversation. So my final question to you is this. Phil, my colleague, has curated a course around the notion of a life of purpose. You've given us a little window into what has driven you to what you do today. But I'm interested in knowing what is your life of purpose? Oh, that's a really hard question to answer. Um, I would say my life of purpose um, is just at the end of the day being walking away knowing that I have shaped in some capacity um, the lives of other people that I interact with. So, and, and it stems back to that identification from very young age, you know, working out what, what, what my skill was, which was people. Um, and I would say my life purpose is to be able to have contributed in, oh, it's, there's so much this question, um, being able to, yeah, being able to have played a role in shaping, um, even if it's just one person, um, their, their trajectory or their aspiration um, through the work that I do. Sam, thank you for that. I love hearing you talk about, um, love hearing you talk about your purpose in that way. It's interesting you say that's a hard question to answer because mm -hmm. it is because most people who are servant leaders like you, you know, they just get down and do it. They don't actually think about why they're doing it because it's just obvious. And then you say, what is your purpose around it? And then suddenly it's like, oh, it's a liberation kind of thing. Once we've sort of worked out what our purpose is, then we need to think about putting it into practice. And and this, this is the last question for today for you. So you've done really well so far. When we think about putting into purpose into practice in a school, really what we're talking about is a high-performance learning culture. And that's for staff and for students within a community of inquiry and practice. And we've talked about that through this conversation today. What are your three tips for our listeners around how to foster this high performance learning culture for staff and students in a community of inquiry and practice? All right, three things. Have a go. Um, don't be afraid. I mean, we often tell our students to, you know, if they're going to, if they're going to have a go, fail at something. I think as educators, we don't like to fail. Um, so I would say have a go, um, get your hands dirty, get involved in it. 
build that community um, with people around you that, you know, you can have that authentic dialogue and, and, and do those things with young people. Um, but most importantly, don't be afraid to fail. Um, I think education is richer from the experiences that we have if we do something, the byproduct of that. So learning is lifelong. Um, we need to be lifelong learners as well. So, you know, get in there and get your hands dirty and, and don't be afraid to fail. I love what you've, been, what you've just shared with us there at the end there about those three tips, you know, because what I'm hearing is aspiration. What I'm also hearing is find your tribe. It's so significant to surround yourself in an environment that's going to lift you up, not drag you down. And that last one there is back yourself in and have a new relationship with the word failure. You know, let, let, I think in schools, we should have a new relationship with the word failure, period. You know, as a design teacher, again, I, I never used that word. It was just iteration after iteration after iteration, right? And it was the process and the wrestling and the struggle that was the where the greatest learning comes from. And, and, I, and I always come back to what Phil talks about, the power of reflection in, in, that, in that loop, you know? So we've got aspiration, we've got environment, and, and we've got giving it a go and, and being open to our possibility. And what's going to happen is either we're going to succeed or we're going to learn, you know, mm -hmm. along that journey. One of the things I, I think I'd love to see um, the schools of the future do is that rather than schools working on their own is, is really, particularly in the career space, is seeing um, schools operate as hubs. So you're working together with that common um, purpose or goal and, and that share of resources and, and pool of resources. So if we can see schools working together collectively as hubs in the future um, to serve for community good, I think we're going to be in a really good place. And that's where we can really see some great things happen in the education space. And no doubt that, that there's an opportunity there then for, for us to really tackle the, the wicked question of equity, isn't it? Mm. Because, because there, are, there are particular schools that are very well resourced for whatever reason uh, and, and others that are perhaps not particularly many of our, our schools that are in regional and remote areas of, of Australia. And what a great opportunity uh, your idea, a future builder idea, I must say, has around the notion of these clusters of schools coming together with a shared vision. And that shared vision is ultimately yeah. uh, empowering our young people to, to, to find their possibilities. And so. the young people are at the core of what we do. And, and, and that is obviously every, um, you know, person I know that works in that career space is, is the young person is the forefront of that. So it shouldn't matter what sector you're from, where you're from. Um, it is about getting that young person into the right space. And, and I think, you know, if we can do that collectively, then Australia's um, going to be in a really good um, position economically with having, you know, skilled workers in the right place. So yeah, I think if we, if we can, if we can get that happening um, sometime soon, that would be great because I, I definitely see that as a way forward. Yeah, McFetridge, thank you so much for your time and thank you for being one of our Game Changers. Game Changers is a podcast for those who want to change the game of school. Produced by Oliver Cummins for Orbital Productions and powered by a school for tomorrow, Game Changers is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play and SoundCloud. Tell your friends and don't forget to subscribe. Let's go.